Vision Edge gives you less eye strain and reduced damage caused by blue light. We like to call Vision Edge sunscreen for the eye. It all starts with your highest level of visual performance, only achievable through scientifically proven Vision Edge. This is Dr. Kerry Gell. Today we have a very special guest, Dr. Michael Carter. Michael Carter is an MD. He specializes in functional and anti-aging medicine, regenerative medicine. He's board certified in anesthesiology. He's a functional medical director for Fit Eyes Glaucoma Support Group. He's the chief medical officer for Health Revival Partners and Real Health Clinics. He's the medical director for tissue regeneration technology. He's an expert in PRP, Alzheimer's peptides and hormones. He's actually a glaucoma patient and he's brave enough to come on and share his experience of being a glaucoma patient. So uh, Dr. Carter, explain to me what it is to have glaucoma and what is glaucoma? Well, I've had glaucoma for over 30 years, and it's a, basically a disease of the eye that um, the pressures in the eye become a bit overwhelming, and it causes destruction of the optic nerve, thereby resulting in uh, vision loss. And pretty much traditionally, the only way to um, appropriately address that uh, would be various uh, medications, eye drops that could help uh, decrease the production of the uh, aqueous humor, which is the, the fluid in the eye that's uh, uh, causing the outflow obstruction, or medications that help open up um, that outlet to help the, uh, the drainage. Um, it's uh, about 60 million um, people worldwide actually suffer from glaucoma. And of course, it's one of the leading causes of blindness. So you're also an expert on Alzheimer's and glaucoma, being a physician. Talk to me about, first of all, about Alzheimer's disease and how glaucoma and Alzheimer's are related. Well, so um, I want to go back a little bit and, and let people know how, to, how I, I got into the functional medicine realm and, and ultimately with that. So um, as Dr. Gelb stated, I, I did anesthesia for 16 years, um, practiced that, loved that. Um, had a history even prior to um, my uh, practicing anesthesia of glaucoma. So I was on you know, some traditional drops and so forth. And they worked for a while. And um, as in most cases, uh, it becomes refractory. So I ultimately had to have surgery, uh, what's called a trabeculectomy on uh, my eye um, to lower the pressure because it was um, in the 45, 50 range, which is a dangerous level, um, normal being somewhere in the 18 to 20 range. Um, so had the surgery and, um, and developed, uh, uh, the pressures became too low, it's called hypotony. So um, at that point, um, since I lost significant vision in that eye, and I 
even though I had 20, I actually had 2015 vision in my right eye, but still having monocular vision in a high stress environment, you know, where anesthesia is concerned, um, I decided to retire from uh, that medical specialty and actually went into the, um, the medical spa arena where um, became an expert at bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and aesthetic techniques, actually became a cosmetic surgeon, um, training both, uh, you know, stateside and abroad, uh, learning, learning various liposuction techniques as well as fat transfer techniques. Um, also during that time, um, became um, um, boarded in uh, stem cell um, training and, and so forth, did a number of those procedures. And, um, but over time, after, you know, my liposuction clinics, did that for about eight years, uh, decided to migrate out of that arena and, um, and really focus on how to address my glaucoma from a functional medicine standpoint. Because even though I'd, you know, been on the medications and they were working fairly well, again, I've had it over 30 years and and I still have okay vision, so very blessed with that. Um, but again, wanted to, after being a member of the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine for is 12 plus years now, and learning of root cause um, uh, scenarios that um, one needs to address, I embarked on that journey because I just felt that just doing uh, the medications and doing the surgeries, uh, there was something missing. So uh, did deep dive um, uh, assessment of those things and actually um, made the acquaintance of Dr. Uh, Thomas Lewis, who wrote the uh, first book, The End of Alzheimer's. And um, that was probably about five years ago. And um, we really hit it off um, and I uh, discovered him on uh, the Alzheimer's Summit. Um, and that was the first Alzheimer's Summit a, a number of years ago. And um, his statement that caught my attention was uh, glaucoma was Alzheimer's of the eye. So uh, that really kind of uh, set the stage for me um, becoming more deeply involved in both arenas. Because of course, from a functional medicine standpoint, um, I not only was uh, learning things for myself, but also for my patients, um, because after I retired from doing the liposuction, you know, I basically became an expert in autoimmune diseases, um, uh, gut issues, thyroid issues, um, whole host of things. Um, but the fascination really, of course, kind of took me down the pathway of neurodegenerative disease processes, such as Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, multiple sclerosis, and, and what have you. And, um, and meeting Dr. Lewis and Dr. Trump, who um, Dr. Trump um, is the uh, ophthalmologist at Harvard, who um, really shed light on how eye diseases were totally connected with um, brain diseases. So it was pretty fascinating. If we back up for a second, if you could just define functional medicine for us. Sure. So functional medicine really revolves around root cause medicine and not just simply um, putting a patient on a medication to address a particular system, uh, symptom or, or lab value for that matter. And um, 
And even though in the functional medicine world, there are lots of supplements um, that are, you know, suggested and so forth, um, still you want to find out why the body is expressing disease um, versus, again, just putting a patient on a medication or a supplement. So um, again, finding, uh, going down my rabbit hole of how I developed glaucoma, that was one of the uh, main tenets that caught my attention with um, Dr. Lewis and Dr. Tremp as one of the major root causes of glaucoma being subacute infections. And even though I had studied um, functional medicine and of course had done a, a number of functional medicine tests on myself, and one of, the, one of the things that popped up early on when I did my own functional medicine tests was, was doing um, um, adrenal stress tests. And everyone is you know, pretty familiar with chronic fatigue syndrome or adrenal burnout or, or what have you. Um, uh, when I was practicing, you know, doing uh, the, the liposuction, we were very, very busy. I had seven clinics um, and, um, between Georgia and Florida. So I was actually flying back and forth between Georgia and Florida every week for about five years. And my body just got to the point where it said enough is enough. Um, and when I checked my uh, cortisol levels and my DHEA levels, I found out that I was significantly stage three adrenal fatigue. So my body just stopped producing adequate levels of cortisol to keep me going. And of course, um, that affects all other body systems as well. Um, and it makes you more vulnerable to um, these subacute infections because cortisol actually is very intimately associated with your body's ability to produce secretory IgA, which is our body's main immunoglobulin in our gut. And as most of you may know, 70 to 80% of our immune system is in our gut. So um, that was kind of a first rung of just adrenal dysfunction being involved in what I was more vulnerable to. So, um, so that, uh, of course, I did gut testing as well and, and initially found out that I had a couple of parasites and yeast overgrowth and imbalance of the good to bad bacteria ratios. And of course, that has a tremendous amount to do with uh, overall body health as well as brain health, because now we know the, the gut-brain axis is um, critically important um, and we must have the good balance of bacteria and just the whole microbiome, the, their commensal parasites and viruses and, and so forth that all make up um, a healthy microbiome that allows us to function uh, appropriately. So, um, so those were the two tests that I, kind of focused on in my early years of being a functional medicine provider and trying to assess kind of what was going on with me. And those were obviously quite deranged. So it took a while to build my um, uh, adrenal gland function back up with uh, various natural supplements and so forth. And, and by retiring from doing the cosmetic surgery and flying back and forth to Florida every week, um, that allowed my body to at least start its healing process. 
As an optometrist, we deal with many diseases that are autoimmune. Yes. Many autoimmune diseases affect the eye. And I work with functional medicine doctors locally to try to get our patients better. Yes. Can you talk about the microbiome and how it relates to autoimmune disease? And how can we help our patients with autoimmune disease that may have lupus or rheumatoid arthritis or myasthenia or some type of autoimmune problem? Well, so with the microbiome, again, that is critically important. And because of the toxicities that we are you know, faced with, the onslaught from our diet, from our water, from our air, and so forth, it is greatly reducing um, the good bacteria in our gut. Also, uh, um, people also are exposed to various antibiotics, with, whether they are prescribed them from their you know, doctors for various syndromes. But more importantly, we are daily getting a significant dose of antibiotics through our food supply and water supply. So this is kind of a continuous thing and it is slowly decimating our microbiome. And of course, when you take a traditional antibiotic, say a seven-day course of whatever it is, um, Keflex or what have you, um, it significantly affects the microbiome and, and pretty much decimates it for a time until it can be rebuilt uh, again. But um, having that situation you know, we need our gut bacteria to, you know, make hormones, you know, to provide, you know, the communication to our brain. Uh, a lot of our, you know, um, thyroid conversion process actually happens in the gut. Um, the vast amount of serotonin is actually made in the gut. So, um, so that obviously is all, you know, uh, coincident with various disease syndromes when that is in disarray. Um, and some of the other things that are really causing poor gut health, um, let's take our food supply and, and let's take wheat, you know, um, where most people have heard of the problem with gluten. Um, and, and really, uh, there's a tremendous amount of data that, show, uh, that is showing that gluten is inflammatory to the gut and causes leaky gut syndrome, or the traditional medical term is uh, hyperpermeability syndrome. And, and that is coming from two aspects. One, the wheat supply of today, it's totally different from 50 years ago, uh, due to hybridization and, and so forth to make the plant grow faster. Um, that gluten content has increased by about 50 times. So, and our bodies really aren't designed to adequately uh, uh, digest gluten. And so it ultimately becomes kind of a toxin to the body. Um, the other thing that we have to uh, look at is the widespread use of glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in Roundup. And really that ultimately is a, is a pesticide or an antibiotic, right? but it's widely used um, you know, to kill off weeds and so forth. Um, but it's also just globally sprayed on um, you know, the wheat plants. And as, as a matter of fact, a whole host of plants, you know, uh, fruits and vegetables um, for uh, its various effects at controlling weeds and, 
and in the wheat industry as a desiccant to um, enhance the harvest and, and make it uh, a much faster process. But that um, has become quite a, a, a problem with the health of our gut microbiome and, and all of the functions in our body. So, um, so those are some of the things from a, you know, the standpoint of how can we um, communicate to our patients uh, what's a better diet? Obviously, eat as organic as possible. Um, another aspect is genetically modified foods. Um, so, yes, there are some benefits of genetically modified um, things in our in our society. However, um, uh, the genetically modified foods um, in the um, the soy. Um, and grain and, and so forth, uh, milieu have become uh, quite problematic. Uh, corn is at, at the highest level of genetic uh, modification. So corn and soy being uh, one of the staples in our diet is also causing um, decimation of our microbiome. So, you know, I say to my patients, um, definitely have a more organic diet, avoid GMOs and um, really pay attention to what you're putting in your mouth. Um, gluten for the vast majority of people is actually a problem, but they just don't know it. Um, so doing um, uh, testing for gluten sensitivity, I think is very, very important, especially if someone is suffering from any type of disease syndrome. Um, and doing a gluten test from, say, the big box labs from LabCorp or Quest is generally quite inadequate because it only tests for one type of gliadin. It's called alpha gliadin, but there are many subtypes of gliadin, uh, omega, uh, gamma, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there are labs that can test um, at a higher accuracy rate um, to, you know, ascertain whether you truly are gluten sensitive or not. And, but short of that, you know, even without doing testing, again, if someone is suffering from any type of issue, um, autoimmune or, or what have you, um, do a trial of staying away from gluten, um, and, and dairy for that matter, because, uh, kind of same thing for traditional, um, dairy farms, uh, the, the milk um, is, uh, there's genetic modification in that and hybridization, hormones and so forth. And again, from the 50 years ago, it's the casein, um, which is the protein component of the milk has also been implicated in causing, you know, autoimmune issues, gut, leaky gut issues and, and so forth. So, um, so, you know, from a, a standpoint, again, going back to the, the patients, eat as organic as possible, stay away from packaged foods. Um, if you cannot pronounce what the ingredients are on the package, um, it's ideal to kind of stay away from that. And, um, and ideally, don't consume packaged foods at all. You know, eat live foods in their organic form. And that would go a tremendously long way in helping someone's health. 
So is it just gluten and what foods contain gluten? Or is it all grains that there are lectins in it that can open up the gut and cause uh, and cause contents to leak through? So no, gluten is a protein um, primarily in wheat, barley, and rye. Now there are you know rice has gluten in it, but the the, the gluten that has been found to be the main offender in most instances would be the wheat, barley, and rye. Uh, families of foods. Now, sometimes uh, one would need to eliminate grains from their diet as well. Um, but everyone is very individualistic in, in, where it comes to that. I found that people who have uh, chronic pain um, may benefit more so from uh, uh, eliminating grains from the diet. Um, also, lectins, which are found in uh, the skin of like tomatoes and bell peppers, um, those can also be implicated in um, eliciting uh, an autoimmune response. And really, all of these things, um, the goal would be if we're getting back to the root cause of you know, production of disease in the body, the gut is, is one of the main arenas for that. So the goal would be obviously eliminating the sources that are causing this, you know, continuous leaky gut. And, and why that's important is because, so, you know, when we consume foods, we're, you know, our digestive system, you know, should be able to break it down into very, very tiny molecules. But um, the new problem with the gluten and so forth is a much, you know, more robust molecule and is not uh, adequately broken down. And what it does is it causes irritation of that gut lining and actually promotes you know, the opening up between the cells. Um, and really in the gut, it's only one cell layer thick, so it's not very robust. So that irritation effect causes these, uh, the gates to open up between the cells and these molecules get out in a form that the body should not see. So then the body responds to that as if that, that gliadin or that gluten molecule from the wheat or the casein or the corn or any other foodstuffs for that matter, even, even foods that you would think would be healthy like broccoli or asparagus and so forth. Um, when it's not appropriately broken down, it is causing those cells to separate and then those molecules get into the body and the body's immune system basically says, what is this? And it starts uh, attacking it like it's a parasite or a bacteria or a virus. The ultimate problem with that um, is that due to a process called molecular mimicry, and it's a big word, but it kind of, you know, it sounds like what it is, those molecules from the gluten or dairy or what have you, can start looking like your body organs. So the body is doing what it does best. It's trying to protect you, right? So it's making those immunoglobulins and attacking those things because it thinks it's a foreign invader. But then those gluten or dairy molecules can actually start looking like your pancreas. So that could result in now you having an autoimmune form of uh, diabetes.
or it can look like your thyroid and it can start attacking that gland. And then you have an autoimmune form of uh, hypothyroidism called Hashimoto's, or, or it can influence Graves' disease where you're making too much thyroid hormone. It can attack your skin so that now you develop eczema, psoriasis, or what have you. Um, it can attack your brain, which can lead to Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and dementia. So that kind of puts it more into focus um, how critical our gut is in having good gut health and having uh, the absence of leaky gut. Because when you start that cascade, um, it's very, very difficult to control if you are not very diligent about the, what you're consuming. And this takes, you know, this can take months or years to develop into whatever syndrome. But um, it is one that, because now we have an epidemic of pretty much every disease out there. Um, and it's, it's only getting worse. Um, so it is incumbent upon us all to determine what things are continually causing inflammation in our bodies. Macular degeneration is a leading cause of vision loss, with 15% of Americans being at risk or already affected. Scientific evidence proves that by using mesozeaxanthin, lutein, and zeaxanthin together replenishes the macular pigment and promotes healthier vision. This formula comes in only one product, MacuHealth. How does the body determine or do we know why in some people it attacks the thyroid and in some people it attacks the brain and some people our body attacks the skin? So, I mean, everyone has a weak link though, you know? So it's um, not totally determined why that um, occurs, but I would say from a genetic level and an epigenetic level, um, one can be more predisposed to a certain body organ being attacked than others. And of course, you know, our, the environmental things that we're exposed to are turning genes on and off um, that would be implicated in the expression of disease. You know, um, I also look at doing genetic testing on patients as well. Um, it's not the end-all be-all, and there's still a lot of uh, research to go. Um, of course, we, we actually do have whole genome mapping now that is in, this, in the $1,000 range where you can actually map your whole genome and find out all of these different things. But um, still, with doing things like 23andMe, it yields uh, a lot of information, and of course, there are a ton of companies out there. You know, I tend to use companies that are more physician grade versus 23andMe, but a lot of people know about that. And that gives you a lot of information on what you could be vulnerable to. So it's um, very, very uh, illustrative of, um, you know, things like uh, how you react to um, having inflammation dealing with homocysteine. So if you have what's called the MTHFR, uh, variant, and um, that could predispose you to having high homocysteine levels, and homocysteine is very inflammatory to the body, and that's one of those other root cause things that we need to look at, and that's really only elucidated when, I would say, functional medicine practitioners 
are doing those types of tests because unfortunately, that's not a typical test that is ordered um, by a traditional doctor. Things like homocysteine and C-reactive protein, which really give us a good idea of underlying inflammation that is really brewing and causing a multitude of problems. So if we go back to the scene of the crime, the microbiome, how important is diversity? And what's the, what's the ratio of uh, bacterial cells or viral cells to human cells? Oh, it's a huge disparity, like 20 some million to, you know, our thousands. So, you know, the microbiome is, uh, it is uh, what is deemed the uh, second brain. And because of that, you know, that diverse environment is intimately entwined, again, with our overall health. It is said that we are really um, more uh, bacteria, viruses, and parasites than we are human. And that has been borne out with the, uh, the research that has shown that significant uh, disparity in, in all of our regular cells uh, versus um, our uh, synergistic uh, compatriots. And talk about diversity. How do we increase diversity if that's important? So yes, diversity is extremely important. And also because of, you know, again, kind of scenarios where we're exposed to genetically modified foods and, um, and, uh, and pesticides and, and so forth, that's killing off a good amount of our good bacteria. So um, I would, you know, of course, I'm a, I'm a big proponent of using uh, probiotic strains in patients. Um, also, you know, eating a variety of fermented foods, also very, very critical in terms of increasing, you know, your microbiome diversity. So as with, again, kind of depending on what your labs show and their numerous um, tests that one can do, um, gastrointestinal tests, to assess the level of diversity in your microbiome. And of course, most of us have, um, especially if we are suffering from any disease syndrome, that, that's really, really high on the list. And, and most of those individuals have um, a marked reduction in diversity. So, you know, putting patients on the uh, appropriate probiotics and by all means, every probiotic out there is not created equal. So using very high-grade uh, probiotic supplements that have verifiable strains that are, that are live strains is incredibly important. What are some of your favorite brands of probiotics? So I really like um, the, the Claire Labs has a, a multiple strain um, probiotic that's uh, very good. But I've also really uh, enjoyed using uh, Megaspore. And that's a uh, spore-forming probiotic with the, um, the strains of Bacillus subtilis and Bacillus uh, indicus and, and so forth. And, um, and you don't have to have those in the billions of colony-forming units. These are in the several million. But uh, a great amount of research that has shown that that helps stimulate 
the, um, the growth of the good bacteria, you know, diversity in our guts. And, um, and of course, we also don't want to just utilize probiotics. Um, what we really want to also concentrate on is prebiotics. So obviously the, the, the best source of that would be, you know, our prebiotic foods, um, you know, the resistant starch type foods, um, the, uh, the vegetables and, and so forth, which help us um, make our own bacteria. And there are also supplements um, that you can get as prebiotics, psyllium husk and, and so forth, that will help stimulate the body to have a food source for the existing um, bacteria there and will stimulate um, new populations of good bacteria. So people with autoimmune disease, you explain beautifully some of the things they could do. Is there any other supplements or any other strategies that people with autoimmune disease should ask their functional medicine doctor about or they could actually do on their own? So, well, let me kind of go into one of the uh, really exciting realms. I'm also being a, a trained by Dr. Trump and Dr. Lewis um, with the first uh, book, The End of Alzheimer's, and um, having the elucidation of you know, Lyme disease or toxoplasmosis or Epstein-Barr virus and so forth um, being at the root of um, uh, disease syndromes, especially neurodegenerative diseases. I'm also trained by Dr. Dale Bredesen, who wrote the second book, um, and it's titled the same name, The End of Alzheimer's. Um, but it's the functional medicine approach of elucidating root causes and um, more focus on Alzheimer's and so forth. But this has implications in, in pretty much every disease syndrome. And he grouped them in, into types. You know, so type one being inflammatory. So again, kind of going back to uh, some of your basic uh, or expanded biomarker tests, looking at homocysteine and C-reactor protein, which are, are indicative of significant inflammation and causes, uh, uh, wreaks havoc in the body's system. And there are, there are other, you know, uh, uh, biomarker tests that we can do, but type one being inflammatory. So everyone pretty much knows that most of diseases, uh, you know, have an inflammatory component. So if the body is chronically inflamed, that's not a, a good scenario. Um, his type 1.5 is um, deemed as called glycotoxic. So that has to do with, you know, you being on the uh, metabolic syndrome diabetic spectrum. So having insulin resistance also is a key component. And of course, we know we have an epidemic of diabetes. And of course, it brings with it its whole host of uh, negative effects on the body. Um, type 2 um, is uh, dealing with um, hormone deficiencies. So if we look at, uh, especially in men and women, we look at testosterone and estradiol, those being low. And, you know, even in young men uh, and women, we are finding um, that there are low levels of testosterone and estradiol, uh, again, also due to toxicities and, 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 and so forth. 
Um, we also look at low levels of thyroid hormone. So if that, um, if that is low, that's going to significantly affect cognition. Um, we also, um, again, look at cortisol levels. So if there's adrenal dysfunction. So, so those are root causes that we have to ferret out. Type three um, that Dr. Bredesen elucidated is toxic. And that's becoming a very, very important realm, especially in our younger patients who we actually have 40 year olds that are developing Alzheimer's. And that is generally found in patients that have uh, heavy metal toxicity, such as um, high mercury levels. And um, high mercury levels um, can come from our food supply, um, unfortunately, especially from our fish supply, um, and also from dental amalgams. So if you have silver fillings or gold fillings, a high proportion of that is actually mercury. So again, if you um, cannot detoxify um, mercury and, and other heavy metals like lead very efficiently, it's going to build up in your system and cause problems, uh, brain, brain problems as well as, as other problems. So those are tests that um, are very important to um, set levels and see where a patient is. Uh, type four, is a decrease in blood flow. And again, that is very, very common. Everyone, of course, uh, knows about cholesterol's role in cardiovascular disease, but ultimately, cholesterol is not truly the enemy. Um, cholesterol is actually sent there to heal the inflammation that the destruction of the vessels that the inflammation has caused. And that's truly why uh, cholesterol is found in um, plaques and so forth. Um, more importantly, um, is buildup of calcium. So, and now at least uh, traditional doctors are doing um, more of the, um, the heart calcium scores, where it's a CT scanner that tells you the buildup of calcium in the arteries and, and so forth. And also looking at the carotid arteries, see if there's thickening there. So, of course, having a decrease in blood flow um, will affect um, brain issues, but again, whole host of issues. So that's very, very important. So those are things that I assess. And then type five is um, traumatic brain injury. And that doesn't have to come from, you know, just being a football player. Um, all sports, well, the vast, vast majority of the sports do have high incidences. Soccer is actually the highest incidence of having um, concussions and so forth. And um, so those are, you know, root causes that we really need to delve into. When, um, when I'm looking at a patient, I have a very extensive questionnaire that goes into, you know, exposures, uh, history, it takes about at least two hours to a minimum of two hours, depending on the person's, you know, what they're going through to kind of ferret out what everything, um, uh, the exposures that the person has um, uh, come across. Oh, uh, one uh, thing that I forgot to mention in the type three, mold toxicity, very, very high on the ladder, you know, 
Um, and about 25% of the population actually has a sensitivity to mold and they don't know it. And of course, the vast majority of us who are in the workforce, uh, a good number of those buildings are actually water damaged and, and mold is growing behind those walls. And even in our homes, there's a high degree of mold. And of course, it doesn't affect everyone the same. Um, and the, the ones who really, uh, you know, seek the um, functional medicine practitioners, they have very serious sy symptoms, but it can manifest as um, anything. So, so again, you know, from root causes, we have to really dig deeply. And that's really one of the main things that separates um, traditional doctors from functional medicine doctors. And of course, you know, I've, I've been a traditional doctor when I was doing anesthesia for 16 years, but really started, um, you know, really get becoming intrigued with the deeper dive uh, assessment of patients with pretty much every disease syndrome. And there is something, um, pretty much every disease has something that you can put your finger on it as this is the cause or the multiple reasons, um, exposures and so forth, that is the cause of the expression of this disease. So one really just needs to look um, more in depth at what um, a person is consuming, what they've been exposed to, looking at a, a deeper dive in the labs and so forth to really um, ascertain what, uh, what is causing that expression of the disease. Why do you think conventional medicine doesn't look for the cause and just kind of treats symptoms? Well, I think traditional medicine at this point is so um, medication-centric. Medication and it has become actually quite a bit worse over the years from when I was practicing. Um, and traditional doctors really don't have the time to um, really uh, find out what the root causes are. So because they're pretty much so busy um, with the, the new drug of the day or the week or what have you, um, that the drug reps come in and say, well, doc, all right, this previous medication that you were you know, working with, uh, now we have a replacement for it because it had too many side effects or, or what have you. So um, I think they are basically overwhelmed um, most doctors are seeing 30, 40, 50 patients a day and can really only spend about 10 minutes uh, with the patient. And there's, it's impossible to really understand what the root cause is. Um, it's very easy to prescribe a medication in that 10-minute session based on the brief history and then looking at the, the lab results. But again, that's more just uh, addressing it from a symptomatic approach. And of course, at this point, we have uh, pretty much medication uh, overuse. Um, a number of patients that I deal with are on five or 10 or 15 different prescriptions. And of course, um, each prescription comes with its own host of side effects. And all of these cross-reactivities with these traditional medications is also causing problems. And the vast majority of those medications also cause leaky gut, which further fuels um, 
problems in the body. So again, the, the, the goal is to find out the things that are fueling the inflammation and, and so forth and all of the different things and start you know, putting a plan together. Um, the unfortunate thing is it, it, it takes time. It really does. And you know, that's the biggest thing that hurdle that I come across with our patients because they want uh, instant you know, gratification. So um, they like to feel better in a day or two. Um, um, but when it comes to functional medicine, it's a much slower process. And again, kind of looking at those deeper dive things like heavy metal toxicity and mold toxins and, and so forth. Those are things that take uh, months, if not years, to, um, to successfully lower in the body. And it's mostly years, actually. Um, and especially for patients who are you know, suffering from significant disease syndromes. So one has to be very, very patient um, to go through uh, this elimination and detoxification process. So um, while there are supplements that can help with certain symptoms in a more timely fashion, um, and still, this is still a supplement. So we're still not addressing the root cause. So the only way to really get, to get, to get the body to heal is addressing this over long term. And really, you know, since we're always exposed to toxins on a daily basis, um, we have to, we, this is a lifelong thing. So um, that's, that's one of the more difficult things to get across patients, uh, to patients because they do want uh, quick results. And sometimes, sometimes that happens, you know, but uh, more times than not, it, it, it doesn't. It makes me think, what was the incidence of Alzheimer's cardiovascular disease, macular degeneration back in the late 1800s? Uh, yes, I'm sure very, very low. Um, again, uh, when, when we actually uh, have now Alzheimer's being probably the fourth or fifth leading cause of death, uh, in the UK, as a matter of fact, is actually the first reason um, of a cause of death. So we are at epidemic proportions of this. Um, nursing homes are full to the brim. And the cruel thing about Alzheimer's is it doesn't kill you slowly. You can you know, linger for five, 10, 15, 20 years um, with a very, very low quality of life. And, and unfortunately, this has, um, there's so many factors that are associated with it, and um, there's no slowing down in sight, unfortunately. So traditional medicine really does not have anything to offer. Uh, the vast majority of drugs out there that have been developed are designed to decrease amyloid, but now we know that amyloid buildup is not the cause of uh, Alzheimer's. And in fact, amyloid is more likely a protective mechanism um, to protect it from heavy metals or bacteria or, or what have you. Um, and it's really uh, preserving as much uh, function as possible. So unfortunately, memory is kind of um, low on the totem pole in terms of 
functionality of keeping you alive and so forth. So that's kind of the weak link where it comes to Alzheimer's and your memory. So again, if we can um, get to patients early um, and identify the causes of the memory loss, then we can very successfully reverse um, that whole dynamic. Um, as you're further down the line, benefits can be, you know, definitely enjoyed. However, getting someone uh, totally back who's in a memory care center um, is, is quite the challenge. So don't want to give the impression that everyone can be cured of Alzheimer's. However, things can be made better. And again, since uh, we have this huge incident, um, and of course, it's not all genetic um, at all, just based on what I, you know, elucidated earlier. But there is a genetic predisposition, and and I would say it's probably a good idea for everyone to get their um, genetic status, which is called the APOE um, genetic variance, to determine if you have that. And even if you have that, it's not a death sentence. So there's no reason to become upset. But now that you are armed with the information, you know that you have to be very diligent about your environment, what you eat, um, and a whole host of things. And, and really optimizing you know, all of the more expanded um, lab values that a functional medicine doctor can uh, provide for you. Well, Dr. Carter, we have a lot more to talk about. We will continue the conversation in part two, and we will make that available to our listeners next week. I look forward to continuing our conversation. Since I bought Safe For You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe For You products. I bring extra and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had Safe For You to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe For You. And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe For You is because it's safe for me and you.